Friends, thank you so much for placing a priority on worship, whether you are at our West Side campus or experiencing this message online. My name is Adam, and I love being the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church in Kearney. And we are in the second week of our Waypoint series, Finding the Place You Are Gifted and Called. Frederick Beekner has said this, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And that's what this series is all about. We're focusing on arriving at the place where we are connecting our gifts to our calling. Last week we talked about searching for purpose and then our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, God has gifted different people in different ways to do certain things well. And so whatever gifts we've been given, we glorify God when we use our gifts well. And today is all about discovering our strengths and what is at stake by either using them or setting them aside. Growing up, I played baseball second through eighth grade. I started off in the YMCA Coaches Pitch League and kind of went in from there. I have a picture of me uh, from my sixth grade year representing with my Sharks uniform. This is pre-beard now. Uh, Now, I wasn't going to get a college scholarship or anything like that, but I did all right. Playing baseball was was mostly fun uh, for me. But as as I grew up, uh, a shift took place. Something happened. And my theory is that in eighth grade, we all hit puberty and everybody else got better and I stayed the same. Because my eighth grade year of playing baseball, I didn't get one single hit. It was terrible. And, and, And it got to be really embarrassing. Like when I would go up to bat, my teammates would say, come on, Adam, get your first hit. You know, really encouraging, right? Oh, man. My strategy ended up being like just crowding the plate and and getting a walk. Now, I was ahead of my time because in the 90s, this was before the rise of advanced analytics. So, you know, my on-base percentage was fire, and uh, I I just went underappreciated, I think. So I had to face up to the fact I was terrible at baseball. Terrible. Now, Lucky for me, that same year in eighth grade, uh, my school offered an intro to guitar class. And having recently retired from baseball, I had room for a new hobby. And, and I had the opportunity to get a guitar lesson every day at school. And, and I, just, I just became obsessed with it. I loved learning to play guitar. I would go home and practice in my basement for hours at a time. I mean, my, sometimes my, I would practice until literally my fingers bled. I was so fortunate to be able to discover something I loved doing at such a young age. You know, falling flat on my face in sports clearly exposed a weakness of mine, but that led me to unlock strengths I didn't know I had. I began to excel in guitar, and some of my favorite memories are playing guitar in our high school pep band. This is your second pre-beard picture, so savor it, enjoy it, please. Discovering a love of music and the strength of playing an instrument had a huge impact on my life. As a young man, I had finally found my thing. You know, I think we're fortunate when we discover a strength that is life-giving to us, something that we're good at and we enjoy, that's rewarding. But sometimes not even that is enough. Some folks are so gifted, then they try and kind of veer out of their lane a little bit. I always think about Deion Sanders. I mean, the dude is such a gifted athlete. He played two professional sports, Two, baseball and football. His nickname is Prime Time. That is so cool. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. It's kind of like Dion. Save some talent for the rest of us, man. But then Dion got greedy. He released a rap album. 
Deion Sanders, tremendously gifted athlete, terrible rapper. <laughs> Deion's life would have turned out a lot different if he would have left sports behind to try and focus on music. And my life would have been altered by stubbornly sticking with sports and ignoring music. There's so much at stake in discovering and deploying our strengths, it can guide the entire course of our lives. In our scripture today, we're going to see the temptation to stray from the places that we are gifted in. In the book of Acts, the church is in its infancy. Jesus has ascended into heaven and uh, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on, on the believers at Pentecost and, and, and the church is rapidly growing. And, and we'll read that here in just a moment. Jesus' direct followers have been preaching to thousands of people and they're responding. They're responding. And, and so in many ways, what we'll read is a crisis of leadership because the early church has to figure out how it's gonna grow. There's very practical concerns that come with the rapid growth of the church. So let's pick up in Acts chapter six, starting in verse one. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Uh-oh. Anyone ever experience rumblings of discontent? Surely not at our church, right? Surely not. Maybe you've been in a similar scenario to what the early church was facing. Oh my gosh, it worked! What do we do now? That was very much what they were up against. With the exponential growth of the faith, the leaders didn't seem to have enough hours in the day and, and people were falling through the cracks. So now we see what the rumblings of discontent were over. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So there was a racial component to this story. There's, there's, there's ethnic uh, concerns uh, becoming apparent. Living in Jerusalem were, were both Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, at this point in the early church, it's essentially still a Jewish religion. It really had its base there in Jerusalem. So it, it was still, again, the early church in its beginnings, in its infancy. The Greek-speaking Jews were those that were part of the church, but they were from out of town. Alexander the Great had kind of spread Greek throughout the ancient world through his conquests as sort of like this international language. And so it was really easy to tell if somebody wasn't from around there because they, they spoke differently. You know, St. Louis has a very famous question and it's, where'd you go to high school? You know, in all the little municipalities in St. Louis County. And that question, where did you go to high school, is really a polite way of asking, where may I place you on the socioeconomic spectrum? And the same dynamics are going on here. The out-of-town Greek-speaking folks feel like the Hebrew-speaking locals are getting preferential treatment. So there were people feeling neglected, we might even say feeling discriminated against. There was a lot at stake. The widow's security, their very livelihood, depended on the food programs that the church was running. In the first century, there was no upward mobility for women especially those that were widowed, they had no other recourse than to depend on the generosity of others. And that was a big function of the church. So I want you to, to, to imagine, to picture the sweetest, oldest, grandmother type person you can. And I want you to imagine that person coming to the leadership of the church and saying, I'm starving. And then I want you to imagine that the response to this sweet, elderly widow is what we read in verse two. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. 
They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. What? Now hold up, does this sound a little harsh? I think at first it does. I mean, they are giving grandma the stiff arm here. What is it? Is, it, is that work beneath them? Is it, is it unimportant? You know, if we stopped the scripture right here, it might appear so. Are the apostles saying that the Greek widows don't matter? Now we need to give them a little more benefit of the doubt. I don't think the apostles are saying that Greek widows aren't important. It's not that the duty of running a food program is beneath them. I think this is an admission that they're just not very good at it. It's clearly not going very well. The apostles are dealing with all the demands of launching a worldwide movement. And on the surface, helping to take care of vulnerable people, I mean, what could be more important? But we also need to think about the different things the apostles are facing. Some of the context of, of this chapter is immediately before this, Peter has just been released from prison where he's been flogged because of his preaching about Jesus. So when the apostles were doing this work, they're literally putting their lives on the line because what they were doing was not only against their, their, their local customs of the Jewish authorities, but it was illegal to preach allegiance to a God other than Caesar. So the apostles aren't just twiddling their thumbs, writing blogs or, or sending out email devotions. They're really putting their lives on their line preaching about Jesus. So at first it might seem callous or lazy for Peter and the other apostles to say, hey, we should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. But remember, they were risking death. There's gonna be times in your life where, where you're gonna have to make some tough calls on what you will or won't give your attention to. If you let everyone else dictate where your focus is and what your strengths are, the only rumblings of discontent are gonna be coming from you. We have to make some tough choices sometimes. So what at first could have been perceived as lazy or insensitive turns out to be wise and compassionate as we read on. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. I loved what one Bible scholar said about this passage. The apostles must not have seen food distribution as a secondary task. They saw the need to maintain their ministry of prayer and of the word, but there's no indication that anyone saw the servers as less spiritual. It's not that the work was beneath them. They just wanted to get somebody in there that was good at it. The apostles are gonna spend the most of their time doing what they're best at. The apostles choosing other gifted people to get the job done is a sign that this work wasn't beneath them. It was so important that they wanted to get somebody in there who could give these people the attention they deserved. Right, it's precisely because the widows were so important that other people were given the responsibility. And so how was that received? We read this in verse five. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. They seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Just a quick little pro tip from me. If you ever come across a list of names like this that you're speaking publicly, if you read them quickly and confidently, people will assume that you know what you're talking about. So there you go. Uh, uh, this year, I'm planning, uh, I have been doing a, a plan to read through the whole Bible in a year. 
And, and this is one of those verses where if that came up on your plan and you just read these names in isolation here in Acts 6, it's kind of like, well, well who, who cares what, what the names were? Like, why does that matter? Well, anytime we get this level of detail in the scriptures, it's like one of them emoji uh, sirens going off saying, "Woo, woo! this is important, look over here. It's, it's helpful to keep in mind that the, the writers of the Bible were on a word count because they were writing on physical scrolls that could only contain so much. And so they had to make editorial decisions. And the Bible actually tells us this. This is how the book of John ends. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. I, I, I love that so much. What a way to end the story. Right, so the Bible tells us that not everything could be put into words. And so why would the author of Acts give both the time and space to list out the names of the seven people who were chosen? Why is that an important detail? Well, let's think back. Who were the people that felt discriminated against? Was it the Greek-speaking widows or the Hebrew-speaking widows? It was the Greek-speaking widows feeling discriminated all of those names that we read are Greek. In other words, the apostles chose Greek people best suited to take care of the Greek-speaking widows. What an amazing little nugget right in front of our face, but was not apparent to me for a long, long time. And so what was the result? The prayers and laying on hands of these people chosen was, was a sign of authority and being sent into mission. And because of that, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers increased greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So we started with rumblings of discontent, and we ended with God's message continuing to spread. All because Peter and the apostles focused on their strengths. Now in this story from Acts, we could easily identify that the well-being and livelihood of these Greek widows hung in the balance. That's part of what was at stake. But there was a lot more at stake than that. Imagine if Peter and the 12 would have just kind of bowed to the pressure or given in to the rumblings of discontent and ran a food program even though they weren't good at it and even though they had strengths elsewhere. Imagine if they would have neglected what they did best. You rarely see a verse from Acts 6 like cross-stitched and hanging up on someone's wall. But I believe it's not an exaggeration to say without this decision and this wisdom to focus on their strengths, we might not be here today if the disciples were, if the apostles were so distracted by all these other things that they could have done outside of their strengths. We draw our direct lineage as a church from this group of people. And so this was a pivotal moment in the early church's history. There's so much at stake there's so much at stake with discovering and deploying our strengths. As long as we continue to operate in things that are outside of our gifting, we're gonna just probably produce mediocrity. As long as we do things outside of our strengths, at best, most of the time, whatever we're doing is just gonna be mediocre. It's just gonna be okay. Just as crucial, is when we don't discover and deploy our strengths, we are leaving potentially great things undone. And we might not ever even know what those could have been. 
It takes humility to admit that something is outside your strengths and it takes courage to claim them and raise the expectations for whatever the task is that you're setting yourself to. So what clues are there to discovering your strengths? In short, a strength is an activity that makes you feel strong. And there's two components. The first is consistent near-perfect performance. And the second is it's something that to you is inherently rewarding. Now we touched on this in week one a little bit. A strength is more than what you're good at, although that's a piece of it. What do you do well? In theological language, we, we, might, we might ask, what are your gifts? What is it that you do well? But then beyond that, what activities are inherently rewarding to you? And in a theological way to ask that question is, to what do you feel called? The alignment of these things is so important. If, if you're gifted in something but don't feel called, that can be very frustrating. I've had pastoral conversations with lots of people. And, and one time I was, I was meeting with uh, someone who was an accountant. And they were good at it. They made a good living doing it. But they hated it. Now, there are worse lots in life than than being gainfully employed, but that's, that's, that's not a good place to be in, stuck in, in, in a job that isn't rewarding to you. It's frustrating to, to be associated with something that's such a big part of your life that brings you no joy. On the other side, other times, we might feel called to something, but not be gifted for it, and that's very disappointing. I loved playing baseball, but I was bad at it. Now call me a meanie, but it's my view that if somebody feels called to sing in the church, they should be good at singing. If you want to discover your strengths, look for the activities that you look forward to, that you're successful at, and you feel better when you're done than when you started. Those are clues to your strengths. We'll dive into what it means to be called next week with the story of Moses. But you can also take some intentional time to dive into your strengths at our Waypoint Workshop event. It's Friday night, January 31st, and Saturday morning, February 1st. It's, the information's on our website. Uh, Pastor Mitch can, can get you hooked up. Uh, we've already got uh, tons of signups coming in. And so we're gonna take some time to really dig into this stuff and, and take the Clifton Strengths Assessment, and, and which you'll hear about throughout this series, and and give you some data to some clues as to what your strengths are and where you're gifted. When we align our strengths and apply them, the impact, the impact can be exponential. A friend of mine and, and, and new leader at our church, her name is Anna Lee, and she's a teacher in St. Joe. And I called her this week to say, hey, when, when was it that, that you kind of knew that you wanted to go into education? And she said from childhood, she'd always loved history. And her and her dad would kind of geek out on different stuff. And it was cool to listen to her talk about that. And then as a teenager, she worked at Chuck E. Cheese. Shout out to Chuck E. And she discovered, oh my gosh, when I train new employees, I really like that. And so she thought, well, why don't I combine my love of history with my love of uh, educating or training people and, and be a teacher? And so that's what she set out to do. And in college, she had some, some affirming experiences as you get some, some experienced student teaching and things like that. And then even after she got out of college, she worked as a para. You know, you don't always jump right into this thing you've set out to do. And, and, and she said, you know, this year is my first year being a full-time classroom teacher, and I feel like it's my dream job. When she took the Clifton Strengths Assessment, her number one strength was context. 
in context, uh, folks who have that strength generally love history and they love kind of understanding the why of how we got here. And it just made so much sense to her of why she loves doing what she does. People that have context love exploring the question, what happened to get us here? And now she gets to explore that with her students in her classroom every day. She's also using her skills in lesson planning to lead a brand new young adult small group that'll begin meeting later this month. And when I spoke with her on the phone, she was just so happy to finally feel like her gifts and her calling had been aligned. And that's what it means to find your waypoint. So friends, there's so much at stake in discovering our strengths. Not only maybe continuing to do things that are mediocre, but leaving potentially great things undone. So let's live in to be the people God has gifted us and called us to be. And let's, let's take some time to really look inward and think about where are our gifts and where do we feel called. I hope you'll continue ex- to explore that this week. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the chance to hear about the courage that it took and the humility that it took for, for our forefathers in the faith to lay the foundation of the early church. It's my prayer that we can emulate their humility and wisdom and courage in facing up to be honest in our evaluations of ourselves and having the guts to maybe say no to some things and having the guts to take up other things, the things that you've gifted us to do. So as we leave this place, may we be prepared to dig into our strengths and to use them for your glory. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.